0: Well, <clears throat> we're in Corinthians, and if you take your bulletins and look at the back, you will realize that we are at a different place. I think that Janine, in her preparation for uh, vacation, went ahead and printed that off, and she put down verses that I was supposed to speak on this week, and Ken got so excited last week, he spoke on those too, so we're, we're a little ahead of, ahead of time. Um, title of the message is Don't Hang Your Dirty Laundry Out for All of the World to See. So, what's the greatest pastime in America? Is it baseball? Is it football? Is it sports in general? Those are some of the great pastimes in America. But today I think that there is another pastime and a form of entertainment that's coming up on us quickly. And that would be the entertainment of watching Judge Judy and all the other judge and jury stories. Uh, sit uh, whatever goes on. I mean, every single day of the week, there's three or four judge shows, and people are bringing their litigations into the judges, and it's kind of like theatrical theater, and people are dragging their dirty laundry out in the middle of everything, and you're going, "Oh my goodness!" So, how many people here have watched Judge Judy? Don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. I admit that I have done it on more than one occasion. And boy, the craziness that I have seen. It is a crazy, crazy show. And one thing that I realize as I've been watching that is that our culture is a culture where we talk about our personal rights. And our personal rights are number one. Uh, We hear things like, I don't have to take that from you. Or I have my own rights. You can't do that to me. And that's part of our culture. And it looks like our culture hasn't changed much from the culture of the church in Corinth. Today we have people suing one another left and right. Brothers and sisters are suing each other, taking each other to court and suing. Children are suing parents. And students are suing teachers. And players are suing their coaches. And Christian teachers are suing Christian schools. And churches are suing one another. And churches are suing pastors. And pastors are suing churches. And on and on and on it goes. We're a sue-happy culture. And it's been going on, it looks like, for over 2,000 years. Because the Apostle Paul is addressing the church in Corinth today, and actually what he's doing is he's calling them them on the carpet, and he's also calling us on the carpet. Let's take God's Word and read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read from verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before an unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? And how much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those? Why do you lay them just lost my place. So if you have such cases, I lost my place again. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no understanding in the church? I say this to you, shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But the brothers go to law against brother and that before an unbeliever. And to have law set suits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be, defaulted, be defrauded? But you yourself wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral nor the idolater, nor the adulterer, nor the man who practices homosexuality, nor the thief, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor the rivaler, nor the swindler will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by His Spirit, the Spirit of God. Paul, in writing this letter, is giving us two proposals. The first proposal is this. We must settle our disputes in the church, not in the public arena. And We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 in this area. Paul, in this section of Scripture, asks a series of questions of the church in Corinth. And these are the same questions that Paul is asking us uh, about how we settle arguments and disputes uh, in in, Corinth. in everyday life. Now, Paul is addressing um, disputes and things that are more related to sin. He's not speaking specifically about uh, things like murder and sexual abuse and stuff like that, that, that obviously the courts have to take care of. As followers of Christ, if we know there is some kind of abuse going on in a family, sexual abuse in particular, we are obligated to Inform law, the law officials, because uh, these break the law of the land. And when uh, when there are laws that are set up by the by our justice system and and our laws that govern this land are broken, we have a responsibility to inform the law and take let the courts take care of that. But there are so many other things that are happening now today that don't even ever need to go to court. But people are taking other people and dragging them to court. And it's the same kind of situation that was happening uh, there in, in Corinth. The first verse says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law to law before an unrighteous instead of the saints? I really like the way the NLT puts it. He said, it says this in the translation. When one of you has a dispute with one another, how dare you? file a lawsuit, and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of talking to other believers. Paul is ticked off. He's, he is really, really upset. And the reason he's upset is because the church in Corinth is taking their small and petty disputes to the regular courts that are happening. And as they do that, they're giving a black eye to the name of Christ. In Paul's day, the legal hearings were part of an everyday kind of entertainment. They they would happen commonly in the common marketplaces. Uh, And and there would be crowds that would gather and listen to what's going on. Mark Krill writes this, The courtroom was in the public square of the marketplace. In Athens and in Corinth was undoubtedly similar. A legal dispute was brought before a court known as the Forty. The 40 picked a public arbitrator who had to be a citizen in his 60th year to hear the case. If it still wasn't settled, it went to jury court, which consisted of 201 citizens. And these cases, it was for anything that happened with, say, a money amount of less than 1000 of today's dollars. And a jury court of 104 citizens for anything more than a $1,000. Some juries were as large as 6,000 citizens over the age of 30 years of age. It's plain to see that in the Greek city, every man was more or less a lawyer and spent a lot of his time deciding or listening to cases. Moreover, when someone hauled a brother or sister into court, There, they weren't just settling a dispute, they were holding the church itself up in public scrutiny and ridicule. And so, Paul basically says in this verse, How dare you! This is a completely unthinkable thing that you would drag one another into a public court for settling a a dispute among you. There's a second reason he's upset. The second reason he's upset is, is that, is the fact that Paul in chapter 1, as you remember, he calls this church saints, holy ones set apart for God. And then in, later on in, in chapter 1, he says that they lack no gift in Christ. And in chapter 2, he tells them they have the mind of Christ. And so if they have all of this, why are they going out into the public arena trying to settle menial disputes and arguments, lawsuits one against another? And so Paul is really, really upset about this situation. He says, you are very capable of making good decisions and dealing with the problems and disputes in your church. And it's the same way here at Wind River Community Church. Whenever there's a dispute that takes place, we are well capable of taking care of those. Especially if we follow Matthew chapter 18 and the Matthew chapter 18 principle of going to your brother who you have or you are at odds with, and dealing with them one on one. And then when they uh, when it's not settled, then you call another brother to stand with you and you sit and you talk about it and you come to agreement. And if that doesn't happen. Then you bring a group of elders together. Remember, two weeks ago we talked uh, we talked about admonishing one another, and that's part of what what Paul's referring to. Why aren't you admonishing one another? Why, instead of admonishing one another and taking care taking your problems uh, back into the church, why are you taking them to the world? And in and in, and in chapter uh, verses two and three, Paul has a series of three questions. He says. Or do you not know that saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? And how much more than the matters pertaining to this life? These three questions that he asks shows how foolish it is for the Corinthians, and also for you and I, to take our disputes to civil courts. When the, matter, the fact of the matter is that all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're reminded that one day we will reign with Christ. When Christ returns, we will reign with Him. And Christ will, be, Christ will be giving us the responsibility of judging on His behalf. And so if we are to take care of judging angels in all matters, then whatever happens here on earth... We've already been given that responsibility and that ability to do that because we have the mind of Christ just like the church at Corinth has. We have all the gifts that we need to take care of disputes like that. We are Christ's representatives on earth right here, right now. You know that probably one of the uh, biggest types of suits that go on is between husband and wife. Or over child support and those kind of things. And the sad part about that is, is that if we live our lives in accordance to what God has told us to and live it out, that we are to love one another. And especially with husband and wives, that husbands, we are to love our wives unconditionally and to cherish them. And wives, we are to respect and honor our husbands. And it's a real simple, it's a real simple ingredient. And if we do that, it settles most every single argument. And when there's an argument that's not settled, settled among the two of you, that's when you call and come to the pastor and you come to elders who, who have the ability to help you walk through the troubles and hardships of life. And those marriages can be healed. And, and, and if we're obedient and follow what God says, we don't ever have to go to a court of divorce. It just doesn't have to happen. But because we're not willing to do what we're supposed to do biblically, we end up there. Now in verse 4, Paul asks, what good is it for a case to go before a secular court? He says, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no understanding of the church? What he's saying is, it doesn't, that it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't it, t- it doesn't matter to you that this unbelieving judge who has no idea what Scripture is about is going to make a decision on your behalf? He's not going to use biblical principles. Biblical principles of truth and forgiveness and grace and restoration. That's not in his law book. But guess what? That's in our law book. It's all right here. And Paul's saying, you know, how dare you go to, uh, to a judge like that? In my study this week, I came across uh, two very interesting passages. Reading from this uh, commentary, it says, In 1982, Warren Ginsburg, uh, just, uh, Chief Justice of the United States, at that time said, One reason our courts have become overburdened is that Americans are increasingly turning to the court for relief from a range of personal distress and anxiety. He added, "Remedies for personal wrongs that were once considered the responsibility of institutions other than the court are now boldly asserted as legitimate entitlement. The court has been expected to fill the void created by the decline of church, family, and the neighborhood unit. That's Judge Warren Berg in 1982, and then the late uh, Anthony Scalia, who just passed away uh, this year, he wrote this. I think this passage, talking about First Corinthians chapter six, has something to say about proper Christian attitude towards civil litigation. Paul is making two points. Paul says that mitigate, mitigate, uh, mediation of a mutual friend such as a parish priest should be sought before parties run off to a law court. I think we are too ready today to see vengeance and vindicate and or vengeance through adversarial processes rather than peace through mediation. Good Christians, just as they are slow to anger, should be slow to sue. That's Anthony Scalia. Basically, it's lining up with what, exactly what Paul is saying. Why are you guys doing this? Here in verses 5 and 6, he says, I say this to your shame. Now, remember uh, two chapters ago, he said, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm telling you all these things, and I'm not trying to bring you shame. But now he's saying right up front, I'm going to shame you guys. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers but brothers go to law against brothers and that before unbelievers. He's basically mocking them. Either the Corinthian church was really proud. They thought they had it all together. They thought they were full of wisdom. Remember in the first couple chapters, they are talking about the wisdom of the world and, and, and Paul was dealing with that. And now, now Paul's going, so you guys are so smart, you can't even settle this among yourselves? Shame on you. Don't you remember who you are? All the things that Christ has given you? And you're taking these things to the public court? Shame on you. Shame on us if we do that. We don't need to hang our dirty laundry out in the, in the court of public opinion because we are well able to care for all of and most every single dispute that ever happens among us. Paul wraps up this section in verse 7 and 8 and he says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat to you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. And what Paul's reaffirming here is that you... They, us, when we take uh, these things to the public accord, we're basically putting a black eye on the name of Jesus Christ. Remember what Christ did? He set aside all of His rights. King of kings and Lord of lords. And He came to this earth and He set, up, set aside every single right that He had. And he died on the cross so that we might have the right for eternal life. Jesus gave it up. All of it. So what's a few dollars? What's a property line? What is that about? Are you taking it to heaven with you? Absolutely not. Shame on us. And shame on the, on the believers there in Corinth. You know, I can think of plenty of reasons why I don't like to be cheated. I don't like to be stolen from. After all, it's money that I have worked for. Hard labor. Even Griff knows that. It's money that belongs to my wife. It's money that belongs to my children. And when I'm a che- when I'm cheated, they're all cheated too. And after all, if I don't stand up and do something about it, he's going to go do it to somebody else. But that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He's saying, you know what? Just give it up. It's okay. When April and I were still young and we had our first two children, David and Phoebe, we worked at a Christian institution. Um, we, were, we, were, we were caring for um, teenagers. And... Uh, I was finishing up my seminary work there at a particular seminary, and they had a, a boarding school, and then they had a, a high school that was connected with it. And um, about eight months into our, our time of ministry there, things were going really, really good, and things even got better because we found out that now April was pregnant with Abby. And April and I were so excited. And so after about three months of... Uh, Knowing that she was pregnant and she began to show, we thought, well, I guess it's now time to tell everybody that uh, we're going to have our third child. And so I went to my supervisor and I went to some of my friends and I said, man, good news, we're pregnant. Uh, We're going to have our third child. We're so excited for God's blessing. And about two days later, I got a phone call and said, Jonathan, could you come to the office? I need to talk to you. And I said, sure. Sure. I'll be there shortly. I walked in and there was a director and principal and of the school and sat down and uh, they said, so are we here that uh, April's pregnant? I said, yeah, isn't that good news? And they said, well, we got a problem. I said, really, what happened? They said, uh, well, more like you got a problem. I said, oh, no, what did I do? And they said, well, uh, we're going to terminate you because your wife is pregnant. And um, I said, what? And they said, yeah, uh, you can no longer be caretakers of, of the dorm because you'll have three children. And I said, you know, when I came in here and I read the handbook and I read all the regulations and I read all the responsibilities, nowhere in that did it say we were limited to how many children we ha- we were allowed to have here. They said, yeah, you're right. It's an unwritten rule. And I said, an unwritten rule? What do you want us to do, go get an abortion? Absolutely not. They said, no, no, we wouldn't say that, but we're just saying that you cannot continue to work here. So I was really frustrated. I picked up the phone. Actually, I was back in the phone book days, and I found um, the particular state we were in, and I found the capital. And I found the judicial system there, and so I called uh, the employment area of it, and I said, can I talk to somebody about uh, inequality and a problem that I've got? Oh, yeah, hold on. I'll let you talk to our lawyer. So got on, and he hold on, and I held on, held, 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 and finally came on and said, how can I help you? And I said, well, uh, I've got this situation. I'm working for an institution. I'm not going to name the institution, but... I just found out today that we're going to be terminated because my ch- my wife is pregnant um, with our third child. He goes, you what? And I said it again. He goes, would you please give us the name of the institution? We would like to represent you in court on behalf of you against them. I said, thank you. I need to think about this. And I hung up. Because what was going on my mind, was going through my mind were these verses of taking brothers and sisters to court. And April and I prayed about it, and we realized that this is a gift that God has given us, and God's going to take care of us. After all, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if He allowed us to get pregnant, He knew for sure that we were going to get fired. And He's not worried about that. Two days later, I got a phone call Would you come and consider working here? And I said, Praise Jesus, absolutely. But I've got to finish out my contract here. And as soon as the last day's done, I'll be packing the U-Haul and headed there they said we're looking forward to seeing you that's how god takes care of us when we follow what he has planned for us verse 8 says so is this uh, this verse so in these first 8 verses paul tells us to settle our disputes in the church and not in the public arena using the worldly courts only brings harm and disgrace the name of Jesus Christ. The second proposal that Paul lays out to us is: we are to live out our new identity in Christ. So, in verses nine through eleven, this is what we read: verse nine through ten. It says, "Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not, do not, do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral nor the idolater." Uh, nor the adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy or the drunkard, or the revelers or the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here Paul's pointing out nine characteristics of the things that non-believers do. And in particular, he's thinking about these judges that people are taking their menial cases to. They're taking their cases to Judges who are sexually immoral, they're idolaters, they're homosexuals, they're thieves, they're greedy, they're drunkards, they're revelers, they're swindlers. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And why are you taking your stuff to them? And he's saying, you're different than that. That's what you used to be. Remember? And they're still that way. And so Paul's saying, we're to live out in our new identity In verse 11 he says, For such were some of you. So such were some of you. That's past tense. You used to be like that. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. They used to be that way. They're no longer that way. Their lives are different. They're living a different life. We're quick to point out adultery and homosexuality and sexual sin and immorality. We skip over greedy, drunkard, robber, swindler. You hear what I'm getting at? We're talking about the big things, and that's really what we highlight. We don't highlight the small things. And so the big things, maybe, oh, that's okay, I'm not part of that. But the small things, maybe that's something that's hanging on from the old life. And what Paul's saying to us is, you're not that way anymore. Forget it all. Remember, you've been justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so Paul closes this section of Scripture by saying, you have been sanctified. You have been set apart. You're different than the world. So don't take your disputes to the world. I have a better plan. God has a better plan. The better plan is His law book, the Scriptures. Take your disputes to the Scriptures. Let brothers and sisters help you work it out so that we stay out of the divorce courts, so that we stay out of the boundary line courts, so that we stay out of the litigation one businessman against another, in particular, followers of Christ. Let's not be like the church in Corinth. Let's not put a black eye on the name of Jesus Christ here in Lander.
1: Let's love on one another. And let's
0: love on those outside. Let's be willing to be like Jesus. Not hold on to our own rights, but give them up. After all, if we believe that He's the one that provides everything for us, won't He take care of these needs too? Amen. I've got a couple questions I wanted to ask. The first question is, these are things for you to think about. Don't raise your hand or answer them. I don't want to take your phone out and take a picture of them. First one is, have you ever thought about taking someone to court? I have. I just told you the story about it. If I'm in conflict, a conflict who at WRCC hit Wind River Community Church? Would I seek out to help solve and resolve the situation? Is there someone here? Am I willing to help in resolving a conflict among a brother or sister here in Wind River Community Church? Am I willing to be taken advantage of for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the last question is, do I truly believe that God will take care of me no matter what happens? Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that we are to take care of matters and disputes among one another here in our own fellowship. Thank You that You say that we have every gift that we need and we have even the mind of Christ. Thank You that You call us saints. Thank You that You say that we are sanctified, we're set apart, we're different from the world. Thank You, Lord, for Your example. You went to the cross and you laid down all of your earthly rights and you even laid down heavenly rights on our behalf so that we might be righteous and stand in righteousness before God our Father in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. All glory and honor and praise to you, Jesus. Help us this week, this month, and this year to not hang our dirty laundry out in the public, to bring a black eye and scorn and disgrace from you, Lord Jesus. Help us to love one another. Help us to care for one another. And help us to settle all of our disputes under your blood and in your name. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.